You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Great being with you. How's everybody doing? All right. Well, hey, this morning we're going to jump into uh, another message out of First Peter. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. Um, I know many of you use the YouVersion Bible app. I want to encourage you. We're in First Peter, chapter 3. We'll start off in, in verse 8 and then work around from there. So this morning what I want to do is talk to you about the importance of focusing on your family. Um, and really what I mean by the family or your family is the church family. Um, the Apostle Peter is writing to the church, uh, to a group of believers that are really scattered out within the first century around the Roman provinces, five different locations, and challenging them to overcome some of the challenges, the tests, the trials, uh, the tribulation, and the troubles that they're facing. And one of the things that we're going to see is the great importance of um, being able to overcome these things, we've got to be able to realize that we have to have a family to fall back on. The church is that family. God describes the church as a local family. And so as a family of believers through Jesus Christ, you and me become brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need a family. Um, it, my biological family, my household, we have four family values, and we use these values here in the church as well. We say faith, family, friends, and fun. Fun is important in the family because it allows you to kind of get through and laugh at some of the less uh, serious things in life and just enjoy and relax. This morning, as uh, I was thinking through starting off this morning, I wanted to show you this funny video of my son who decided to dress up as a unicorn. And years ago, I mean, we got this, this outfit that I guess one of my nieces decided she was going to dress up as a unicorn and uh, for Halloween or whatnot, and then we inherited uh, the, the outfit, and then my son decides that he's going to put on the unicorn. I happen to capture it on video, and I'll show it to you in just a second. And, uh, and so we decided to create this little fun video where he's going to go in, he's going to blow dry his hair uh, as a unicorn, and then his little sister, you'll hear her in the background say, Sam, are you in there blow drying your hair? You're not supposed to be in there. And then... Just watch this real quick. I'm a unicorn and I'm going to blow dry my hair. Oh boy, that's my household. Uh, you know, hey, it's important to have fun as a family, as a church. We want to be able to have fun, but we need some rules in the household to have fun, keep having fun, to grow in our faith, to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow in a relationship with one another, 
to make a difference in this world, we got to lay down some family rules. And so the Apostle Peter writes, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 8, we'll just start there. He says this, um, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He lists out kind of four or five different rules there. The first is, is that he talks about is that unity of mind. In other translations, it's translated as harmony. If we're going to live in, as God's people in God's house, the church, we need to live in harmony with each other. That's the first rule that we need to have in our, in our church family. We've got to live in harmony with each other. The word unity is mentioned uh, a number of times in the New Testament as one-third of all the one another commands in the Bible deal with unity of the church. Just listen to these. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind of one another. Accept one another. Don't bite and devour one another or consume one another. So seriously, don't eat each other, okay? He goes on to say is uh, gently and patiently tolerate one another. Don't boastfully challenge and envy one another. Be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving one another. Bear and, and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil towards one another. Don't complain against one another. Confess your sins to one another. That word one another in the English is two different words. In the Greek, it's one. It's an incredibly important. The first step for us as a church, if we're going to grow in harmony, is we've got to be able to understand the importance of the one another. And the one another is crucially important. And the kind of the way I like to illustrate this is helping you understand the difference between uh, open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Um, as a believer in the church, you need to realize that there are, there are closed-handed issues. These are issues that we need to hold on to, that we need to draw a line in the sand on, that we need to say, hey, these are distinctives that make us Christian, and we're not going to debate over these. We're not going to discuss over these. These are closed-handed issues. What would those be? It'd be about the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord that the Bible is the authority. These are closed-handed issues that we hold on to. And when you have a closed fist, these are things that you might all fight over. Like, they're big deals. As a church, we want to hold on to the closed-handed issues. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, one God, three persons, all fully being God. These are major core issues that define our faith. The problem is, is many churches can't live in harmony. Many Christians can't live in harmony because they take, they take other issues like open-handed issues, like whether you trick or treat, whether you put up a Christmas tree, whether there's drums on the stage, and they try to make those closed-handed issues. They make them so serious that they'll fight over these issues and divide. And that's not healthy. The music style, you'll see some churches that go through church splits. The preaching style, you'll see some churches that split and divide over what I would say is open-handed issues. If we're going to live as a church that's going to be able to move forward, to, to grow in our faith, to advance the name and fame of Jesus throughout the North Valley, harmony is a big deal. And what we can't do is we can't divide over open-handed issues. We, 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 and the Apostle Peter talks about this, that we're to have this unity. But here's what unity is not. Unity is not uniformity. 
So in our church at North Valley, we have folks uh, that, you know, say they, 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 some vote Republican, some vote Democrat, some are uh, independents. So I like to say at North Valley, we're not a right-wing church, we're not a left-wing church, we're the whole bird. So, because there's diversity, and so that's an open-handed issue. Can you be a Christian and be a Republican? Can you be a Christian and be a Democrat? Can you be a Christian and be an independent? Independent? The answer is yes, I think so. Do you disagree? Yeah, sure, there's disagreement. But do you divide over it? And my response would be is absolutely not. You live with harmony. You got you to gotta respect the differences and realize there's issues in the Christian life that are closed and there's issues that are open. Um, so my first point is, is that as a church, we need to understand the importance of living in harmony. The apostle continues on and he talks about sympathy. This means that we need to be sympathetic towards each other. You know, um, in, in our church, if there's somebody going through a hard time, that I like to call it that you walk slow. When there's issues going on, people around you walk slow. The lifestyle and the ministry of Jesus is when people were, were, when he was out in crowds and with people, he wouldn't run from destination to destination, he'd walk. And then people would come to him. And his disciples and the apostles kind of thought that he was being interrupted, but he saw those as divine invitations to connect. As a church community, we need to be sympathetic towards each other, caring for one another, deeply caring for one another. How do you be sympathetic? Sympathetic means that you just simply, you, you could even pray as, Lord, help me to feel what they're feeling. Help me to listen more than want to be heard. I, I, I'm a talker. I like to talk a lot. My wife says, okay, she'll we'll be out somewhere and we'll be having a conversation and she does the little be quiet tap. She taps my knee. Tap, tap, tap. And I know, that's code language for shut up. And she wants me to be quiet so that, she, that so the other person can talk. And that's so important. As a church, simple family rules ought to be is live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic towards each other. He goes on and he talks about brother, brotherly love. Love is essential. One third of the one another commandments in the New Testament talk about loving one another. Love one another. Mentioned numerous times in the New Testament. Through love, serve one another, tolerate one another in love, be devoted to one another in love. This idea of love is crucial. And even in his list, the Apostle Peter, there's five different um, rules that he outlines. Love is at the center. It's the, very, it's the very one that holds all of them together. Being loving towards one another, love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. As a Christian at North Valley, what that means is, is that we can love other people and realize there's differences with open-handed issues and still love them. Like when I go to a family reunion, I got this one uncle, we just, I'll just call him my crazy uncle, and everybody in the family is like, that guy jacks his jaws too much, stirs up way too much trouble, but guess what we do as a family? You love him anyway. Why? Because he's family. How many of you go to a family reunion or family gathering and you're like, man, that guy over there, I'm surprised I'm related to him, but I'm related to him. But what do you do? You show extra grace. Why? Because he's your uncle. So what do you do with a Christian? 
that are, have differences, you love them anyway. Even though he's different, even though you disagree, you don't divide over the open-handed issues. So I want to encourage you as you think through this as a church, how important it is, is that we not only love one another, care for one another, but the Apostle Peter goes on and talks about being compassionate by using that word tender heart. I like to say this, you know, for you guys, you're like, ah, that's kind of soft. I don't know if I want to be tender heart. Well, it'll win you points with the, in a relationship with another gal if you have a tender heart. I like to say at North Valley, it's important, and I've asked for prayer on this, is God, give me really thick skin and give me a really tender heart. How important is that? Jesus Christ had a really tender heart, but he was incredibly tough. There's nothing feminine, men, about having a tender heart. Just have tough skin. Have a backbone, stand up for what's right, do what's right constantly, but always have a tender heart. If you don't have compassion, you don't have sympathy, you don't have that going, you pray for that Holy Spirit, help me to be compassionate and caring. He goes on to say and talks about being having a humble mind. That the mind, that the whole mindset, we ought to be humble towards one another. And I can't help but think about in, in elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says, um, consider others more important than yourselves. Take their interests above your interests. Being humble is incredibly important. And the Apostle Peter goes on in verse nine, let's look at that. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for those, for, for, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What does that mean for us? That means we need to, as a church, we need to apply this rule and we need to learn how to fight differently with each other. When we get into an argument or we get into a fight with other believers, um, you need to realize that the human form, the human response is usually if somebody does good to you, you do good back to them. But if they do wrong against you, you can oftentimes want to do wrong against them. Um, you know, it's important to understand that we just got to fight differently. There's, I like to call it, there's three different levels on, on uh, returning uh, a response when somebody wrongs you. I think there's a satanic level. There's a human level and there's a divine level. This isn't in your notes, but you might want to write this down. The satanic level a human level and a divine level. A satanic level is when you return evil for good. When you violate or you've been violated against and somebody hurts you and you did nothing in return, it was just you were doing your thing and an evil act is done against you. For example, I read the newspaper this morning, 11 people were shot yesterday um, in a Jewish community. And this gunman shot and killed 11 people. That's evil. And, and they were doing nothing wrong against this offender, this evildoer. That's the satanic level. The human level is when somebody does good, you do good to them. Um, when somebody wrongs you, you pay them back. It's called payback. That's very human. Uh, let me ex illustrate this. Um, this is a story of um, my, my, my personal family. So years ago, as a kid, um, my, my uh, mother and my dad, my dad was at the time in medical school. We were broke. We were eating macaroni and cheese every night. 
PBJs all the time, pigs in a blanket. If you know, it's a hot dog and a bun wrapped up, thrown in the oven all the time. That's what we ate. Didn't have any other foods. And uh, we were going through medical school. I was a little kid, and the story goes like this. My mom tells this story because I think it's kind of funny. She was angry at my dad because my dad had a mouth on him, and he was cussing and saying some stuff he shouldn't have been saying. He was raising his voice. He was getting really angry. And my mom was a, kind of the story of a godly young lady, and then my dad came to Jesus when he was in college. And so they get married, and they go, he wants to become a Christian doctor and all this stuff. And so we're in the fights and the, the fury and the challenge of trying to get through medical school and as a little family. I'm probably two or three at the time. Story goes, my mom and my dad are outside on the front porch arguing. And my dad's going off, going crazy. And my mom walks away and she says, dear Lord, she comes over and she prays and she says, dear Lord, I just pray that you send a bird to poop on his head right now. And she said her faith never got so strong because she looked up and this bird goes, Psh. my dad was cussing and yelling and all of a sudden, and my mom's like, praise Jesus. <laughs> that story gets told all the time at our household. My dad doesn't cuss like a sailor anymore. You know, but the funny thing is that's the human response. When somebody does wrong against you, you want to get back at them. You know, I mean, that's the human response. And what the Lord calls for us to do is do a divine response. When somebody does evil against you, you return it with good. Look what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 28. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. So if somebody wrongs you, you're to pray for them. You could pray, Lord, that person offended me. That person hurt me. That person did this against me. And the Lord tells you to pray for them. Well, why should you pray for them? I'll tell you why. Because when you pray for somebody else that's wronged you, what you're doing is you're releasing that burden. You were never designed to carry all the bitterness, all the brokenness, all the hurt. When you pray for that person, Lord, forgive that person. Help me to forgive that person. You're taking that wrongdoing and you're giving it to the Lord. And his shoulders are strong enough. Yours aren't. And it's healthy for you to do that. And in doing so, you're saying, this problem, this wrongdoer, he's yours or she's yours. And you're releasing that. And it's a blessing in return. Continuing on, the Apostle Peter talks about how we can get along. Not just simply the rules, but how to continue to grow and get along. He says this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days... And let me just stop right there. What's he saying? He says, there's an opportunity to look for the good and love your life. Some of us are, are struggling to get along because we're always grumpy. We're always frustrated. We don't, we're not looking for the good in life. Really what the Apostle Peter's doing is, is, is uh, citing Psalms chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. It's a practice of God's people. So you say to me, well, what about the really bad days? Well, let me encourage you, redefine what a good day could look like. Even in the midst of a hardship, even in the midst of a trial, what if a good day is God's presence was with me today? In the middle of that drama that I went through, I prayed and I felt that God's presence was right with me. That's redefining a good day. 
you, you are look, redefining. Look for the good and love your life. It's redefining how you see good. So many times we see good as, oh, I didn't go through any hardship. I didn't go through any trial. I didn't go through any temptation. I didn't go through any trouble. And we think that's good. Well, what if it didn't go so great? How could God, how could you experience a good day? It's experiencing God's presence in the midst of your problem. Maybe it's experiencing an answer to prayer where you pray and you see God respond in the middle of it. It's possible to have a good day every day. What the Apostle Peter says is, who desire, who, whoever desires to love life and see good days. And then he gives some real practical application. How to get along? He goes a little further and says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. What does that mean? Oh, this is what my mama taught me my whole life. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at... And I heard the kids saying it. They know. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. When you speak out, let me, let me speak to this just for a moment. When you speak out all the problems, all the hurt, all the offense, all the evil, all the wrongdoing, I believe this is what you're doing. You are developing in your own mind a spiritual stronghold because you're constantly talking about it. I think you should, when something's wrong, something goes on, you should communicate it, confess your sins to one another. If somebody does wrong against you, go get help, get counseling, talk to a pastor, talk to a Christian friend, dialogue, process it, and then come to this place where you're not going to continue to pour out all the negativity, all that stuff for ongoing. If you do so, you can become fall into this victim mentality for year after year after year after year. Well, the Apostle Peter says... You need to keep your tongue from evil. Don't speak evil against other people. Your lips from speaking deceit. So if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. I remember in our church, we had a, uh, an individual that was um, sharing um, rumors uh, that were sensational, lies, accusations. We had another guy in our church, godly man. He was happening in one of our small groups years ago. Uh, he came to me and said, Pastor... This individual is saying stuff that's not true, and he's been saying it for some time. And I've been in that group saying, I don't believe this is true. I don't believe this is right. I pulled the individual aside. I confronted him. He's not listening. He's not changing. We need to intervene. And I said, why don't you join me for a meeting? I called that individual in. I had my friend sit here and he, I said, why don't you share what you've been hearing? He says all these things. And this guy freaked out because he got confronted. And, and here's the issue. This guy said, look, for the sake of harmony and unity in the church, you've been unloading your mouth on things that are not even true. That guy was confronted, left our church, Went through, it was a really hard issue for me and my family. And then you know what? About a year later, wrote me this long apology and, and asked for forgiveness. And the truth was, I've decided to forgive him a long time ago because I don't want to carry that burden. I don't want to carry that burden. I just said, Lord, this guy's acting foolish. This guy's saying the wrong things. But I praise God for that peacemaker that got involved and had the courage to say, you're speaking lies, you're saying the wrong thing. The apostle Peter challenges, keep the tongue from evil. Lips from deceit. If you exaggerate, you're telling stuff or you're saying stuff that's sensational or you're not accurate or not backed up or you're hearing people say something about the church family, any church. 
you could stop him and say, how do you know that's true? Uh, the Apostle Peter challenges that. It, it divides. It hurts church families all the time. In my family, I like this Bible verse, Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That idea of corrupting talk is corrosive talk. In my family, we talk about this. I've shared it with you guys. At the Rice family, we're going to be builders. We're going to say things that build people up. Now, that doesn't mean flattery. Flattery, because look what it said, as it fits the occasion. So nobody needs to be lied to. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're so great. No, you're not. You're terrible. You know, you say things that build the individual up. This world is struggling with discouragement. This world is struggling with depression. This world is struggling with people that feel alone and isolated, and they're starving for affirmation. And you, as God's people, need to speak life to others. Toby, my, Toby Mack would like that. You speak life. You, you, you share things that are going to build other people up as it fits the occasion. It can't be a lie. It can't be flattering. And then what does it do? It gives grace to those who hear. Your very words can pick people up. If you're a teacher, when you speak life into your kids, you're bringing your kids up, and guess what? Maybe nobody else is speaking to them like that. Maybe a coach or maybe somebody in a a work setting, you're speaking life and building them. Hey, you did a really good job at. As a kid, that's what I love to hear from my dad. Hey, Ryan, you're doing a really good job at, and then he'd fill in the blank. So many times we say stuff like, hey, I'm proud of you. For what? Just tell me, what are, you, what are you proud of? Hey, I'm really proud of you. The way you handled that situation, you navigated through that. that was, you were being a peacemaker in our family. I'm proud of you for doing that. Now you filled in the blank. Now you're building them up. The Apostle Peter challenges us. If we don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything at all. But we need to avoid flattery. Continuing on, he says in verse 11, let them turn away from evil and do good. In essence, what he's saying is if you want to get along and move the family forward, grow in your faith, you need to easily stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. So if you're causing trouble, you're hurting people in relationships, you need the humility and the sobriety of mind to be able to realize I'm causing problems. I need to stop doing what's wrong, turn, and start doing what's right. That's, that's called biblical repentance. When you, when you stop doing something, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that, I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to turn, and now I'm going to start doing this. And my, my encouragement is, is, let's shovel a bunch of grace onto that and realize everybody screws up, everybody messes up, so let's just do this. Let's just be a people who stop and start things. If you mess up, if you blow it, stop. Stop doing what's wrong, start doing what's right. But then do what? Let him seek peace and pursue it. Don't be a person who creates, who, or be a person who creates peace, not a person who creates more problems. In my family, probably like your family, there's a peacemaker. Um, growing up as a kid, the peacemaker in my family was my brother David. David was a peacemaker. Why was he a peacemaker? I'll tell you why. Because he was humble. I'll tell you why. Because he really believed it was important 
to have harmony and unity in our family. Why was he a peacemaker? I'll tell you, because he believed that we should do life different and fight different as a family. David was the peacemaker in all of our problems as a family. Aunts, uncles, um, uh, my brothers and sisters. I mean, we would go toe-to-toe and wrestle and fight. I'd fight my older brother, Rob. We'd be upset about something. And I can, I can always remember David would come into the middle of it, even on a physical level, and hold me over here and Rob over here and go, guys, come on. Just let him have the controller. <laughs> you know, I mean, be fighting over something so dumb. But a peacemaker, be a person who creates peace, not more problems. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. How do you live at peace with all people? I'll tell you, you ought to distinguish between closed-handed issues and open-handed issues and then say, is this worth fighting over? If you don't determine that, then you get really confused and you're going to create a lot of problems, not only here in this church family, but in your family. The Apostle Peter is worried and concerned about the believing community, whether they'll have the unity within their church family to move through and overcome the trials, the temptations, the tests, the troubles that they're going to face. And he's saying, you got to focus on the family. Don't, don't forget, your church family is crucial. So continuing on is, is this idea of living at peace with people. Let, let me give you what I believe is the 12 most important words to live at peace, okay? This is not in your notes, but this is very, very important. 12 of the most important words that you could ever say to live a life of peace with others. The first phrase is, I am sorry. If you don't have the guts to say you're sorry, then you're not going to get and resolve the conflict when you do something wrong. It should be a regular routine where when you make a mistake, you can just say, hey, I'm sorry. If that's not happening in your marriage, it should, because no one's perfect. I don't think you can make it through a single day without sinning, either doing something that uh, intentionally or unintentionally. And so, first is I'm sorry. The second phrase is I was wrong. That's important to say. Hey, I was wrong. Third phrase would be, I love you. Because that establishes the most important thing. I love you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And then the last phrase would be is, please forgive me. And you're asking, will you forgive me? Now, at my household, when I get into a, uh, I heard somebody call this the other day, when a pastor and his wife get into an argument, they call it, intense fellowship. I'm like, that's funny. Intense fellowship. Okay. So sometimes I say all of these all at the same time. I say, sweetie, I am sorry. I was wrong. I do love you. Please forgive me. Those 12 words are so important for the believer. And in every relationship that you're in as a kid, as a parent, as a single, as an empty nester, as a grandparent, as a grandchild, those words are really, really crucial for the family to move forward in their life and love for what God's doing in their life. And so why does it really matter? The apostle Peter reminds them that God's watching. He's the father. It's his house, the church. 
And he really does care. Look what it says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Three things that we see. God watches over the righteous. He cares for the believers. He cares about the brothers and the sisters. Those are his kids. Secondly, is that God will actively listen to the prayers. He's listening. You know, when my daughter comes to me and says, Dad, I want to spend time with you. My response is, yes, I want to spend time with you. Dad, can you take me uh, this last Friday? It was, uh, she, she told me, she texted me all her favorite Starbucks drinks. And so now I got them in my phone so that when I pick her up and take her on a little date, I can order for her. And I didn't realize I got messed up the other day. I was at Starbucks and I ordered Venti instead of Grande and, and extra shots in our caramel macchiatos. And boy, we were lit up. We were like, woo, lots of extra caffeine there. And, and, but here's the deal is what I'm saying is, is like God's the kind of father maybe that you never had or God's the kind of father that you did have and he was so awesome. That as a kid, when you go to your dad, you say, dad, can we do this? And the answer is yes. As long as it's not gonna violate scripture or hurt you or hurt somebody else, the answer is always yes. God, I need to, I wanna spend time with you. I wanna feel your presence more in your life. I think the Lord says, I, I want that too. Let's do that. See, what keeps me going through the hardship is the presence and the power of God in my life. When I'm going through a hard time, my family, my distant family, we moved away from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas and Dallas, Texas, and we came out here. We didn't know anybody, not, not one person when we moved out here. We left all our family, all our friends on this kind of divine calling. It wasn't just a whim. It was the sense of God's calling us out here. And through all that, you'd ask me, well, how, how, how did you make it? I'd say, the presence and the power of God and I figured out I had a family that wasn't just blood, but it was a spiritual connection, brothers and sisters. Even as a youth pastor, kids would ask me years ago, they said, hey, we love spending time with you. You're always with us on Friday and Saturday and all the time. And I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And I would say, because you guys are like my family, man. I love you guys. The Lord wants to spend time with us. The Lord is our heavenly father. We're brothers and sisters. He actively listens. And like a good dad who protects, God will work against those who do evil. You have no idea sometimes if you just take your issue that someone insulted you, someone insulted you, someone offended you, someone hurt you, someone harmed you. You take that and you say, Lord, you accomplish your justice. You handle this issue. You do all the due diligence. You report if it's an incident to, to the police that needs to be reporting to. It's a form of God's common grace. God, I want to respond. I want to do what's right. I want to protect me. I want to protect my family. And you say, I need you to handle this. And the, the apostle Peter reminds that God's going to work against those who do evil. Why? Because God cares and he has a concern for the family. I want to end on two stories about how our church family has impacted two people's lives. Two couples. Here we go. The first is, is Stephen and Ellie. They came to our church five weeks ago. They're, they're celebrating their one-year anniversary today. They're up in the Grand Canyon. A really sweet couple. They came to our church, and they felt the love, the care, the compassion 
Since that time, they've joined a neighborhood group. Since that time, they've gone through our classes. Since that time, he told me, he said, hey, I'm giving, I'm tithing. I want to help fuel this church. I love what God's doing here. I said, why? And he said, because I believe that this is a church that's worth inviting my friends to. I believe that this is a church that's an opportunity for me and my family to grow. And I'm just pumped and I love the people. I've been, I, I was invited to lunch. I was invited when I filled out that connect card. Somebody followed up with me. When I expressed this need to the people in my neighborhood group, they prayed for me. And they're experiencing what it's like to be a part of God's family. The second uh, individual is Dr. Janice Jackson. She's a doctor for rehabilitation and special medicines. And she has done an incredible job. She came to our church uh, last Easter, stepped her, uh, set her foot on the campus for the very first time during the Easter egg event. Uh, we had 720-something people in our services that day. We had another 300-plus folks show up for our Easter event. That was our first Sunday. And she said, when I came onto the campus, I realized that these people care about kids, and these people are warm and receptive, and it's a place I want to belong. At that point in time, she started to go through the classes, get in the neighborhood groups, begin to grow in fellowship, and she placed her faith in Jesus Christ and was publicly baptized. So why does all this matter about the family and the church? Because our witness is at stake. People often times outside of our church will care about more about our behavior than our belief. And how we, be, how we behave as a church, are we loving, are we winsome, are we caring, do we build each other up, or do we break everybody down? Oftentimes, what we need to realize is that our behavior is very much an indicator, what do we really, really believe? If we believe in a loving God who cares for us and calls us, adopts us in, then as we experience that love, we can extend that love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for our church family that we could be a family that welcomes others in, loves people really well, and continues to move forward in our faith to show compassion, care, humility, and kindness. And Lord, would you give us the heart to help strengthen the family through serving, through caring, loving, and leading others towards you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.